Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How you doing tonight, Catherine? <laughs> I'm so good. It's been way too long since I've had the pleasure of listening to that intro. Has been a while. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing another episode of The Long Finish. It's episode 91 Holy of The Long moly. Finish. I hope I get to 91. That's a great... Great age. Yes. Yeah, everyone's rocking in 91 still. We're rocking episode 91. Excuse us, listeners. We've been off for about six weeks due to a myriad of reasons, mainly because most of November... Our family was sick. I've told friends I, that I have not been, in, and family, I haven't been in touch with at all. They said, you just dropped off the face of the earth. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's like a round robin here. Well, you got five people living together. One person's always sick. It's been tough. Hand, foot, and mouth. Uh, I don't know. Flu, RSV. No COVID. Colds. No, no COVID. Just everything just else. Just colds and everything else. Yep. So we're back. Excited to be back. A lot has happened in the past six weeks, just in our life, a lot of travels and a lot of people coming in. Holidays have happened, Thanksgiving, but we wanted to get into a wine that we're excited about. Catherine has a very uh, a passion for this region, and I was in New York talking to a friend from college, a good friend, Bird Level, about his passion for Burgundy, and I said, you know what? We haven't done Burgundy in a while, so let's get back into it as we celebrate what, what is sort of a wet L.A. It feels perfect I know. to be drinking it, it's this wine. This, it's been a rainy weekend, kind of like so rare here and very kind of romantic. And it makes me think of our trip to Burgundy because it was in November. Was and it was, yeah, over Thanksgiving. And it was so dreary and perfect. I mean, really got the mood going. It's a great time to drink a red like this. Oh my gosh. Okay, the wine. The wine. Yeah, Catherine, what are we drinking tonight? This is Domaine Louis Boyot, Volnay Le Grand Poisson, vintage 2015. So this is from Volnay in Burgundy. It is stunning. And 2015 is a stellar vintage. I do want to get into that. I want to get into the to the region or the village. Yeah. Uh, you know, that this wine comes from. So lots of minutiae to discuss, but let's go back into, uh, let's recap what we've been up to. And I, I've been busy, frankly. I was I was so excited to talk about my trip to New York, but our kids got sick. We never had time to do a podcast. But uh, back in early November, I went to New York for just a couple days to see my parents. And usually I, I only have vacations with my kids or my wife uh, or I do a family vacation with my sisters, but this was a special trip with just my parents and me for like two days in New York, and we were full tourists. I saw a couple friends do a couple shows, call a couple shows I wanted to see, had some nice dinner, two dinners with my parents, my mom and dad, just a really special trip. And I, the thing I keep talking about the most, though, is flying alone as a parent is really, really a luxury. <laughs> I was uh, fog-delayed out of LaGuardia. And it was like, I was, I think I was using Southwest miles at this time. And so I had to reconnect through different cities. And I was like, take all the time you need. I'm happy to be in this fog delay because I'm not. I have no problem being... sitting in this tiny seat, so uncomfortable, yeah. but because no one's bothering me. Not one person could, it was a packed LaGuardia airport. And I was <laughs> so happy. Couldn't even find a seat. I was like, this is delightful. 
So I did that trip, did a quick trip to Las Vegas to see some college friends. I drove for 24 hours, just drove to Vegas and back to see my alma mater UVA play Baylor and see some friends for Vegas, which was a lot of fun. And then my parents came in for Thanksgiving. We had a great time. Hope you can attest to that, Catherine. The parents are still spry and full of energy and help us watch the kids when they our oldest had the week off. And so... Oh, it was a fantastic week and a great contrast to last year where we were by ourselves. So to have your mom cooking and your dad hanging the kids out yeah, hanging out the with the kids and at target and you know taking them all around and then we got our christmas tree it was a very yeah. festive family filled week so that was really special so fun for me to see my family my parents especially several times this the last half of this year i've probably seen them four or five times which is amazing because thinking of just two years ago during the pandemic where i didn't see them at all for almost a year it was a, a lot of fun and now i, I learned tonight that the college team outside of UVA that I root for, Michigan, having grown up there, my dad going to grad school there, they're playing. If they can get past TCU, they play in the national championship and the championships in LA. So maybe I'll get my parents out here again. You know, always looking for reasons. Every month, every other month. Yeah, come on out. <laughs> you know, you're not traveling with kids anymore. You know, this is a luxury for you too. Just we to we don't have family that lives here, but we have family that travels here very regularly. And we need them. We do. Catherine, what's going on in your life? Other than reading my books and taking care of my kids. I'm enjoying planning the holidays at Esther's. We have just like a ton of holiday parties. People are getting festive this year and we are not putting up our tent on our patio this year because we've extended our patio. We made it pretty. And so it's kind of been fun. We've had to move people inside when it rains and make it cozy and move our tables around, but it makes it the energy so festive and fun. But the team is just like rocking these events because they've been really solid for the last six months and so it's just awesome to see that's kind of like a really fun part of our business now that wasn't there a year ago that wasn't there a year and a half ago and you know the pandemic was so hard on that so that's been fun it's just nice it's it's a good place to that you want to gather with people well hopefully people are drinking a lot of burgundy at these parties at Esther's. And as a reminder to the listeners at home, if you want to listen to some other conversations we've had about Burgundy, you can listen to episode 11 in The Long Finish, episode 69, where we talk about the legendary importer of Burgundy, Becky Wasserman, and our time together with her. Really special episode. So check those two out. And now we're going to talk about this wine tonight. And this, what's fun about this is I wanted to talk about Burgundy. I brought a couple options home for Catherine, and Catherine and I sort of weeded through them because there's variations on price, variations on vintage, variations on regions, all things that we can kind of get into tonight. And we also talk about days of the week, like the, uh, what's, what's the calendar you call it? Well, it's the biodynamic calendar and thinking about the best days to drink burgundy the best days to drink any wine are generally on fruit days and so we wanted to make sure to open this on a fruit day burgundy it can be fickle it can be just shut down on certain days certain for months at a time for years i know these 2015s are drinking well right now so i just wanted to really like put all the chips in on a fruit day you know and make sure that we ha we're giving this wine the best shot and i'm very happy so far we opened this two hours ago just to let it start breathing and it's blossoming right now so we're taping this on sunday night december 4th for everyone who's following the calendar this is a 
fruit day. And we did look during the week. We're like, what's a day that we can do this where you know the wine has the best chance to show off its fullest expression? Now, some people may not believe in this, and that's quite all right. But we have had some bad experiences drinking wines on leaf days or root days, or I've sometimes had wine tastings on days that weren't that just were off where I like nothing really tasted good things that I've had before I'm like this is not you know a surefire plan but you know a lot of times it seems to be in sync with how the wine's doing and what's the app you use can we tell our listeners what how to find this app yeah so I use the app called when wine and the free version will tell you the next I don't know 48 hours in advance you know how what time what kind of day it is. But if you pay, I don't know, like $3, you get the year version, something not, it's not expensive. And so then you can look at, you know, the week coming up and sort of plan, all right, we're going to open our fancy bottle on this night. Now you may think this is all, you know, horoscopes and hogwash, yeah. which is fine, <laughs> but. Is that your autobiography? <laughs> horoscopes and hogwash. <laughs> but, but we drink a lot of wine and there are certain wines that vary less you know, that uh, that aren't so fickle. You know, there are certain wines that I would imagine that Rombauer Chardonnay is absolutely picture perfect every single time you open it. That's it. But these wines are not like that. That is not Burgundy. And that is what's so alluring and beautiful about it. Because when you have it on the right time, the right day, the right bottle, it is just unforgettable. Unforgettable. And then there are lots of other duds. There are just so many duds. And not that it's bad. It's just not spectacular. And that's the point of opening a wine that you really care about, right? You want that wine that you brought back from France to be... Perfect. Yeah. I would say a wine that you selected on your trip, yeah. a wine that you open from your cellar, you want to be right. Or if you're trying to discover a new region and you're, you know, spending a little more money on something special, give it the best chance. Anyway, this <laughs> this is not a, a, no, an I, advertisement for this app no, but- or any of that, but it's just to say to take great care about when you are opening these because it does make a difference. It's not soda. I'm sure I said this on the podcast we did for other Burgundy episodes, but I'll never forget the wine tasting we did with a winemaker that we love. And th- those wines, we know were good, but on the day that we tasted them, they were closed off. And, and- it was 9 a.m. and he, the winemaker was disappointed and we were disappointed because you want when you're we having- We know they're good, yeah, you know? We know. And yeah. we still have that experience. And so when I go to open those wines, it's a great story, you know, but that's just how it goes. Yep, so we gave this wine the best chance tonight. So let's remind the listeners what we're drinking tonight, and let's start talking about this Yeah, so this is uh, Louis Boyot, Domaine Louis Boyot. This is the Volnay Le Grand Poisson, vintage 2015. Okay, so we're in Burgundy. Where's Burgundy? Okay, France first. Let's go France. (laughs) Bone is the capital of Burgundy and it's about 200 miles southeast of Paris. You, the, it has five regions. So the top region, five main regions other than Beaujolais, which sometimes is counted, sometimes isn't. Anyway, the top region is Chablis. And then you get to Côte de Nuit, Côte de Bone, Côte Chalonnet, and Mâconnet. And by top, I mean most northerly, not best. But from Chablis to Bone, which is kind of in the middle of Burgundy, that is 100 miles. It's an hour and a half. So this is a very long, thin region. And probably the most notable part of it 
is the Côte de Nuit and the Côte de Bonne. And together, they make up a region that people call the Côte d'Or. Now, historically, people said, oh, the Golden Slope, because it's on this big sloping plateau and the best vineyards are on the slope. But after reading several arguments about this, I think um, Côte d'Or is actually shortened version of Côte d'Orient, which means oriented to the east because the vineyards, the aspect is facing east. And that is the best aspect for vineyards because they get the early morning sunlight that breaks the frost first. So you're having most sunlight in the day and least amount of worry on that frost. That's just the best aspect for for vines. And the best vineyards are not at the very top of this slope. Those are really good. Those are usually the premier crews are at the top. In the middle, often of the slope are the grand crews, the best. And then at the bottom where there's less drainage on the valley floor, those are the village wines or general Burgundy wines. So the kind of magic thing about Burgundy, other than bone, which is just... (laughs) an amazing city if you ever just want to travel to a medieval city that has the best food and drink that's it we just love bone but the amazing thing about wine is that a little bit of geography here 200 million years ago it was a tropical sea and that seabed over time turned into limestone soils and so that's burgundy that's the hallmark of burgundy that's the magic and we know we know because we've talked about this a million times on the podcast limestone wine magic but this is a like rock of limestone sometimes it's mixed with clay sometimes it's more pure limestone sometimes mixed with other things but the limestone is the key and there's still like fossilized pieces Um, where you can see fossil creatures from the sea from 200 million years ago. That's the background. So now, this is the Côte d'Or, right? The top part, so Bone to the north, is the Côte de Nuit. The bottom part from Côte de Bonne south is the Côte de Bonne. And Volnay, the village that we're talking about tonight, is in the Côte de Bonne. So it's south of the city of Bone. Maybe we could put a map on Instagram as we post this, just to kind of show everyone what you're talking about. For sure. And I will say part of the allure of Burgundy is that it is like this tiny little place, you know, it's like 3% of all wines in France come from Burgundy, but like the most expensive wines in the world come from this region. You know, it just has this allure. And even the most knowledgeable and like astute wine professionals are still baffled and confused by this regions because there are so many different intricacies and things to know about it. So if you're confused, just let it be and look at the map and enjoy. Roll with it is my point. So south of Bone, the first city, uh, the first village really is Pomard. Primarily, that's a red wine region. And right just south of that is Volnay, also just red wine. And those are probably the most notable villages for red wine in the Cote de Bone most of the other red wine that you think about is in Cote de Nuit. And all but one of the Grand Cru's in the Cote de Bonne are for white. There's only one red. So really, these villages of Pomard and Volnay are special. 
and they're very different. So you get into Pomar first, it's kind of flat. And then you get up this sloping hill and the little village of Volney. And it's kind of on the hill in between two hills valley. And these wines here, there are lots of premier crews and lots of village wines with special designations. Like this wine we're drinking tonight is not a premier crew, but it's from a, a single plot. And the plot is Le Grand Poisson. These are 60-year-old vines, a lot of clay, and this vineyard happens to be on the border of Pomard and Volnay. In general, I think of Volnay when I think when I see that on the label and I think of the wines of Volnay, I think of finesse, I think of velvety, I think of aroma and perfume, I think of complexity without so much structure. It's not a village that's known for power and structure. That's Gevry Chambertin in Cote de Or that's Pomard is more of the like structured power and next door neighbor. Volnay is more like the finesse and the, the softer side. I often will recommend Volnay to people who are just getting into Burgundy because I think they want something a little bit plush with a little more fruit on the softer side. And this can be a great example. Now, we didn't talk about this in the beginning, but just a quick reminder. Reds from Burgundy, always Pinot Noir. Whites from Burgundy, always Chardonnay, with a few exceptions that we're not talking about tonight. So we're always talking about Pinot Noir. And who doesn't love Pinot Noir? So yummy. We just had just had to revisit the wine again just before we continue. Right. It is delicious. Really good. So the day that we visited Volnay was actually Thanksgiving Day. So Volnay is right next to Merceau, and we went to visit Moray and Lafarge, and it was a fantastic day, and then went to have Thanksgiving lunch in Bone, it w- and then, you know, use the Wi-Fi at McDonald's. It was so good. I remember that, I remember that whole day really <laughs> well, and then we drove to Champagne that yep. night and yeah. had a great dinner, and I watched on my phone the Eagles beat the Cowboys, so... <laughs> <laughs> we had mussels for lunch. It was a spectacular it was. day. It was a really, really incredible day. It was. And we got to meet the family at Lafarge, and that was really, that was really special, special, too. Yeah. But at that time, I did not know this producer. So this is Louis Boyot, and the Boyots, he's fourth generation, but their family really started wine growing in Volnay. But over the years, through marriage and the Napoleonic Code, they have inherited vineyards throughout Burgundy. So they have, they still have their core plots in Volnay. Louis Boyot has plots in Gervais Chambertin, in Lucigny now, in Bone. So kind of spread out all over and really still small, only like six and a half hectares, not a lot. But the family originated in Volnay. And I'm, I started buying these wines because they're actually affordable. And they're delicious and they're well-farmed, practicing organic with minimal intervention, which is fantastic that they are affordable. So that's what really got me into it. But this is really small domain started in 2002 because Louis was with his brother and they parted ways at that time in 2002. So he went out on his own and started this domain and still not a lot of wines. He's actually married, though, to a very famous winemaker up in the Cote de Nuit named 
Gislan Barthold. And she makes amazing wines too. And Louis actually farms for her. Now their son, Clement, is sort of taking over everything. And he has vineyards in Beaujolais as well. So not with the 2015, that was still Louis. But now Clement is really taking over both his parents' domains. And they have a cellar together in the Cote de Nuit. Which is really cool. Now you it's said this like is, this is Burgundy Royalty. It really is cool. You, know? you said this started in two thousand two, but the the vineyards are owned by the family. Like how? Because it's very hard to get. Okay, you know, so here's the yeah. deal: for four generations, the Boyo family has been making wine, right? But prior to two thousand two, Louis was with his brother Pierre, and they were making wine together. Then they split ways. They split their holdings. And Louis went out on his own. Then now he's, he and his wife have their own cove together, but they still have their own separate vineyards and their own separate labels. Gotcha. It's so complicated. It sounds like a, you know, it could be like a succession related, like, <laughs> you know, wine version. Definitely. Although I think there's like maybe less drama maybe in less this drama. family. Fair enough. But probably in other families, there's yeah. a lot. Because every time a marriage splits up or a brother split up, they go different ways. This, I, you, When you're reading the histories of different domains in Burgundy, so much, uh, it's, well, it's split up. Or it's split up among the brothers evenly, you know, because that's Napoleonic code. What the, you know, so one brother has to loan it to the other one or lease it to him or buy it from him and... Things can get pretty gnarly. So when you taste this wine, how did this wine, because obviously it's, it was new to you, does it feel like of the place of Volnay, but also unique to Volnay? What what makes this wine stand out to you from, from all the other burgundies that you get to taste? I mean, obviously you, said, you, you mentioned the fact that it is delicious and is value, but what are you tasting in this wine that makes it feel when I first When I tasted the wine and decided that I wanted to buy these wines, it's because it, to me it did represent the village. It had that soft, big, plush feel. It has a beautiful nose, all that blackberry and cherry and mushroom and vanilla. But there's still, unlike Dangerville, for example, that's another really top shelf producer in Volnay, there's a rusticity to this wine, especially on the finish and around the edges. It's not all smooth and perfect. And I love that. <laughs> I love that in... In many Burgundy wines. Now, some wines with polish, I think, are beautiful. But I love that this has that element to it. And I think it's appropriate for the pricing that it is, too. It shows the appellation. It shows the village that it's from in an approachable and beautiful way. But it's not all polish. I also think that it just feels authentic. This wine is not overproduced. There's only aged in neutral oak. It is just, you can taste the wine. The vintage. 2015, you said it's a great year. When we were looking at wines to possibly drink on the podcast, we were looking at 2015, 2016s, etc. Talk to people about this year in particular, but also how they can navigate vintages if they're going to look to drink maybe a great bottle of wine for the holiday or something like that. Well, I bring this up because... What's interesting is you think like, oh, older wines might be more expensive, but that's not always the case, right? The vintage is what makes, can be more expensive. And that might be for people who are new to the wine game. They're like, oh, why is this, you know, 2015 more expensive than some year that's, you know, a few years beyond it? Yeah, it's not just older is better. It's what happened in that vintage and what makes it 
unique. And some vintages are great to be drunk right away and better young. Some are meant for aging. But the idea is what happens in the vintage kind of predicts how the wine might turn out. And wine writers come to the coves, you know, in the fall, hear about the wines, taste the wines, and then make predictions about what's going to be. So by all accounts, 2015 was a good vintage because there was a mild winter, was early flowering, there was no frost, there was no heavy rains, just light rains. There were some heat spikes in the summer, but it wasn't crazy. Some of the fruit dropped away at night, so the berries were smaller, more intense. And then it was a pretty it was a little bit of an early harvest, but mellow. So basically what I'm saying is that nothing terrible happened. <laughs> That's a big deal. There were no major heat no spikes. There was no hail like major hailstones. There was no major frost. This is a big deal for a region that has a lot of variation in the weather and getting grapes to the right ripeness is the goal. There are a lot of obstacles. And this year, 2015, was spectacular. So it is a wine with more richness and more power because of that little bit of concentration. But an it can be a wine for aging because it was such a great vintage. Now, sometimes in a vintage where a wine has a little trouble getting ripe, like there's not quite enough sun, not quite enough heat or more rain, we like to call that a classic vintage, a vintage for burgundy drinkers. So for me, if I've, it's if a producer I love, I love to have their wines in every vintage because I know those winemakers can make amazing wine in every vintage. And I love to see the variation. But if I'm trying something new, I kind of want to see what that winemaker looks like with their best foot forward. And especially something like this, where you're like, okay, this is a great small producer, but not over the top expensive, where some of these wines in Burgundy are thousands of dollars. This is not. This is approachable. I want to taste a great vintage, a great version of it. So 2015. You mentioned the word cov. Can you tell people what you're talking about? It's just like a domain, an estate. Yeah, exactly. I just want to make sure that was clear. I'm sure my parents would producer, ask that yeah. yeah, winemaker. They're and they're in their facility. When you think about food pairings for this wine, what are you thinking about? What comes to mind? Literally, I never eat duck, but I was thinking like this would be kind of amazing with roasted duck or roasted turkey, since we just had that, like the dark meat or the dark meat of chicken. You know, it definitely is like, it's a lighter wine, but it could bring out all those like more savory, heavy notes of white meat. Pinot Noir often goes great with mushrooms or earthy things. And that the rustic part of it, I don't know, it could be great with just a mushroom pizza with like the best cheese ever on it. You know, something simple like that. But yeah, turkey. Bean stew. Well, bean stew. Yeah, a million times over. S soups. This uh, last question I have is sort of a two-parter. So this wine is available at Esther's. It is. But where else can our listeners maybe find this wine or, or other wines from Burgundy they could get into? I mean, you can definitely find this wine. I don't know about the 2015s. They may be sold out at your local store. But you can find this producer in different parts of the country. Luis Boyo, for sure. And I think it's a great starter producer to kind of get to know, especially a good representation of, okay, like here, here's an example of Volnay before you spend your money on D'Angerville or De Montiel or something. And then 
if you want to drink other 2015s, go for it. Get in there, you know. If you can find them, I think that's great. There are other producers that are negociants. So, you know, they buy fruit from other folks. They can make good versions of Volnay, and I would say Favely, maybe. My last question is related to that, and it's people that might want to get into Burgundy. I think of I thought of drinking this wine because we're you know fast approaching the holiday season. We've passed Thanksgiving. We're into December. Chance to open up a great bottle of wine, celebrate with friends and family. So there are obviously a lot of people who know their wine, listen to the podcast. But maybe there's some people out there who want to learn more about Burgundy. What are the steps that you take? To buy Burgundy, if you were to walk into a store, how can we advise people to say, these are the three things I would do to find a a bottle of Burgundy that I'd be happy to go home with? That's a really good question. Well, first of all, like I say always, I look for importers that I like, that I trust, that I know their taste. This is from the Rare Wine Company, a great importer, Kermit Lynch, Rosenthal. Wasserman. Wasserman. These are fantastic imports. So that's a good starter. For me, if I see one of those on the label, I'm already like, okay, that's a point in a direction. Now, there are going to be some small producers from importers I don't know. So, or, you know, in different parts of the country, we have different importers. So then I would start with a village like Volnay that we're talking about tonight. Like, let's start with one place in Burgundy and kind of get to know it. So try a Volnay then get another producer from Volnay, then try another from Volnay and see what's kind of in common. See what hits you. Read about Volnay. Look at pictures of Volnay. You can look in your wine books that you have. I'm sure you have any kind of intro to wine book at home or Google it. Look on the internet. The Burgundy Report is a wonderful website for Burgundy. Lots of information on there. Jancis Robinson has a great website. Of course, you know, the usual decanter and those kind of things. But I would go start with one region, get to know that a little bit, and then move on. And you can start with, you know, general burgundy, red burgundy, and white burgundy, bourgogne rouge or bourgogne blanc. But it doesn't give you a sense of place, a sense of terroir, a sense of why is this place so special? You know, in the 1 AD, this became a region, really. And in the Middle Ages, the monks set up the vineyards that are basically the same today. And there's a really strong reason for that. Because even, you know, 10 meters in this direction or that, the soil is different. The aspect is different. And it's a different wine. So going little piece by piece, you know, village by village in Burgundy and taking it slow Make it a lifetime process. I mean, at least that's what I'm doing. Okay, so from hearing you right, I want to recap that. It's look for uh, an importer that we've discussed on the podcast. Yes. We named a few. Ask to look at a specific region. I mean, does, does vintage matter where you start? Can you start with maybe a more affordable vintage? Or do you want to start with, we know 2015s or probably other years that you know off the top of your head that are great. Should we yeah. go to great years or can we go to any year just to sort of get in the door? If you can... Start with a good year. You could do 2018, 2019. That's a great way to start. Okay, great. We will post a picture of this one on our Instagram. Go to the long finish. Check it out. If you have any questions about Burgundy, just feel free to DM us at the long finish. We'll be happy to answer any of your questions. And we hope that you get involved with a bottle or two of Burgundy this holiday season. Celebrate by drinking it by yourself. 
with some friends. But yeah, whenever we, Catherine and I have a bottle of Burgundy open, it always evokes a special time in our lives and ho- hope it does the same for you. Yeah, I think, you know, thinking of it as a lifelong curiosity is a better way to think about it than, I don't know, trying to master it or get to know it in a single shot. It's going to be lifelong for me for sure. All right, let's get to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to go first. It's the World Cup. It's happening right now. France, what we've been talking about during this episode, is the defending champion of uh, the the football and soccer players, listeners out there know. I remember very vividly uh, when we went to Italy and France, how passionately they talked about their Euro experiences and World Cup experiences. France plays England this upcoming week. So uh, what's really exciting is our six-year-old is very into soccer, very into the World Cup. He's drawing out the graphs of the group stages and who his predictions are. It's been fun to get up with him at 7 in the morning to watch these games and even earlier during the group stages. Funny thing about that is we've had one TV in our house, and I do a lot of research on TVs. I've been waiting a long time to buy a new TV. Well, on, on Thanksgiving night, our... 18-month-old-year-old, ripped the TV from its stand, broke it. So fast forward to Black Friday. I'm there with my parents and my 18-month-old, and we're at Best Buy, and we buy a new TV for one room. I say, let's go ahead and get two TVs so Catherine will stop being mad at me when I'm she's trying to cook and I'm watching TV. So the installation comes. Ins- installation people come. They did not bring the TV, so I'm running back to Best Buy. I've done all this research on the TVs that I want. The TV... The installation people are here in the house. I go to Best Buy with my dad. The guy at Best Buy, who's very nice, says, we don't have your TV. (laughs) Will you take this TV? I'm a person that's been planning this. I've been researching for 18 months. And I just impulsively say, yeah, sure, I'll take the TV. (laughs) I think I'm going to be happy with it. But I'm such a uh, a researcher of, like, gadgets that I almost, like, it's almost paralysis by analysis. Long story short, we have two TVs. We are watching World Cup, inspired by the Geek Squad at Best Buy, inspired by the world at large with the World Cup. It's a great time to be alive. We will not talk about the details of where the World Cup is being held, but the sheer joy of watching and connecting with the world over the World Cup is a lot of fun and inspiring. So that is that for this week. Catherine, what do you have? Well, I've read a lot of great books this year, but one of my favorites that I finished within the last six weeks since we've been a minute uh was lessons in chemistry by bonnie garmus fantastic oh this book has just so many things i love a female heroine that is just you just love her to death you want to be her best friend and she's hilarious a dog with a personality science quirks feminism i love this book it was a joy to read go get it just do it I've already texted the people that need to be texted, but for all of you out there that I don't know, go get it. How many books did you say you wanted to read this year? What was your reading goal? Well, 20. And where are you? 19. You can do it. I'm <laughs> getting there. Three weeks to go. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 91 of The Long Finish. Episode 91 is in the books. Thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to the show. If you have a chance as a holiday gift to us to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It would mean a lot to us. Catherine, 
Where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Weil Coker, and you can find The Long Finish at The Long Finish, both on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. We should have one or two episodes left before the end of the year. Got to get in some sparkling to celebrate surviving us surviving another year so stay tuned for that got some great uh, interviews in store now that we're hopefully knock on wood free of some children's colds and sniffles etc you better knock harder than that harder than that there you go all right so stay tuned for that until then have a great week be happy be healthy and happy drinking ciao